Hello, welcome to a brand new episode of the Brain Food Podcast. In this one, we're starting another series, right? It's the series seem to have done well so far. We did the Roosevelt one, which everyone every time I say Roosevelt, I've got to think about the pronunciation. So Roosevelt, like he's a rose, is always how I imagine him. We did the Roosevelt one, and we did a couple of other series, and people seem to like those. So today, this one's a little less specific than Roosevelt, but it's just space, mm-hmm. right? Like we're kicking things off today with uh, what are we talking about? Space DJs and uh, pillow knots. Which when I read the when I read the the title for that episode, I was like, what is a pillow knot? What is this about? Some sort of space pillow? Oh no, it's a lot more exciting and a lot more gross. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and we've got some other stuff coming out. What's what's going to be what's going to be trailing in the next few episodes? You got loads of stuff. Yeah, we got loads of stuff. We're going to talk about how astronauts go to the bathroom in space. That's next week, right? Or next episode? Yeah, and we're going to talk in the series. We got a ton of just all space-related kind of the reality of being in space and the stuff that a lot of people don't actually talk about very often. Um, just sort of that the the day-to-day activities that are kind of quite fascinating how they do things and all the planning and everything that goes into all of it. Sort of very, today I found out, sort of very brain food, isn't it? Like, let's look at the things that you'd think you don't know about space travel. I think that's one of the things that I always like about this. It's like your response to emails where someone's like, hey, could you talk about this? And it's like, no, because it's been done to mm-hmm. death. It's always, you know, we could talk about, you know, Apollo 13 or we could talk about the moon landing or stuff like this. But it's kind of, that's, that's been covered. Mm-hmm. What about if we talk about the, the pillow knots? Or, or uh, like an incident. The space DJs. Or like an incident with Apollo 10 that it, that's going to come up in next week. That's hilarious. And uh, I don't know, I, I won't spoil it, but uh, something no one, no one ever talks about. And uh, it's great. Are you getting, you, uh, you led up to that, you, you teased that one very nicely. So with that in mind, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts because, yeah, lots of space talk coming up in the next few weeks. Should we do a little housework before we get into the kind of, oh, we've got some great follow-up, right? About yeah. the, uh, I think last week we promised that we'd follow up on something from the previous mm-hmm. week, but we didn't. But you've outdone yourself in this read, like... I made a couple of notes about this and I was like, we should talk about the slavery and the POW camps. And then you're like, okay, here are a, a solid page worth of notes on everything. I guess it, you went down a bit of a rabbit hole. It's, it's fascinating. Well, it was, it was hard because also there's a lot of like biases on both sides of what people say happened and what actually happened. You know, it's kind of a, I don't know. So it took a lot of digging basically to kind of uh, un, uncover kind of the, the truth of everything. So yeah, the forced, was there forced labor in the allied POW camps was the, was the question. And we kind of, we kind of, I believe yeah. we assumed that there probably was, but they probably called it something else, you know, or made it like sound better than it, than it was. But uh, it turns out we were sort of right and sort of wrong at the same time. Let's jump into that in a second, but do you want to do some reviews first? Oh, and I also wanted to mention, okay. uh, speaking of going back for, a, for a second there, uh, Google Podcasts. Yeah. I tried it out. The Google Podcasts app, the bill oh, yeah. is very good. Like it, it's, uh, it's really? simple. It's like, it's the Google, like imagine the Google homepage. Like it's just, it's simple. It does what it needs to do and nothing more, which is just a, like for an Android podcast app. That's great. That's just really nice. Okay. Like when you search for a podcast, it comes up, you hit subscribe. It's got the, you know, the basic features you might want. Like, do you want to download episodes ahead of time or do you want to stream or whatever? It's got all that built in and like seems pretty much nothing else. Like it's very simple, very well managed. Doesn't, you know, bog down your phone or anything. It's nice. I, I've, I've used it a little bit and it's, I like it. I think that's pretty perfect because my big issue, I, I was on Android for a while. Then I went back to, to Apple as regular listeners know is there wasn't really a good simple option. Like I tried Podcast Addicts, which everyone likes. I tried Stitcher, which everyone doesn't mm-hmm. seem to mm-hmm. like. But all of these things, I, I'd never really found one I got along yeah. with. But And then I was very happy when I went back to Apple. I was like, hey, the kind of bad, simple, built-in 
podcast mm-hmm. app. It's it's nice to see that Android have finally released their equivalent version yeah. of that. Yeah, it's, it's great. I was because I, I also had the same thing. Couldn't I never really found one I was too or wanted to recommend or anything. Uh, but this one, this one, good. Right. At least my, I mean, I've I've only been using it for like a week, but it's so far I'm quite happy with it. Wonderful. So some reviews. Austin, sha 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 sha. I think that's his. I don't know if that's how you pronounce the uh, the string of shs there, but that's what I'm going for. He just says awesome. Like the show. Keep up the good work. Thank you, uh, Austin. Sha 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 sha. Uh, someone says, Doist, love the show. Been a great way to get the depth of info I want from YouTube videos in a more informal format. Please keep it up. Uh, and Mr. Leonard, King of the Capital, thanks to everyone involved in getting this podcast out. Highly enjoyable, at least to me. So, uh, yeah, thank you for those. I just pulled those from the top. I'm sorry, I didn't select any. They're all five stars, which is nice. And uh, we'll pull some more in future episodes. Thanks for everyone. If you do want to leave us a review, head over to iTunes or Google Pod. It, it, I'm assuming it has a review feature. That's mm-hmm. that's something they did build I in, right? I assume so. Honestly, I didn't actually pay attention to that, but I'm quite sure it is. I'm sure there's something. Okay, cool. If you're on Google Podcasts, what's it called? Google yeah, Podcasts? Yeah, Google Podcasts. It's, it's nice. Give us a review on there. Why not? Are we going to roll that into our competition yeah, one as well? Yeah, I definitely, because should, it's, right? uh, yeah, it's the best of the Android ones, I think. Cool. And we have a slightly convoluted competition because it's the previous one we did, we were like really hoping to get 100 reviews on iTunes and we did that and then we gave away a $100 Amazon gift voucher to everyone. You know, we just bundled those people in, then did a random number generator to choose a winner and two, two runners up. And then we were like, we shouldn't just do iTunes podcasts. But however, we've said when we get to 200 reviews on iTunes, we'll go through like all of the major platforms. So like Podcast Addict, Stitcher, CastBox, Google Podcasts, and all of these guys and just put everyone in and then we'll draw someone. And I think we were doing a $200 Amazon gift voucher for 200 reviews. It seemed appropriate. Mm-hmm. And then 25 and 25 as follow-up yeah. prizes. So leave us a review. It can be whatever you want. You don't have to give us a five-star review, although we obviously love those. Shall I see if I can find a bad review? <laughs> sure. That'd be interesting. I got a three-star here. Oh, yeah. Love the topics, but too much needless banter. I love your YouTube videos and was excited for the podcast. You research the heck out of all the topics and it's a wealth of info, but you veer off topic so much and banter way too much for me to really enjoy the podcast. I find myself losing interest and I really want to like it. This is fair. Yeah, I was, I was just about to say the same thing. That's fair. Yeah, we do absolutely banter, but I think... At least when when I visualize doing the podcast, the banter, the banter is like quite intentional. Mm-hmm. It's the podcast's a different format. It's like if you want us to be fact machines, you can, you know, at some point we'll cover space DJs and pooping in space and pillow knots on YouTube, I'm sure. And that will just be uh, a pew, 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 here are the facts. But, you know, the podcast is a bit more chatty. It's a bit more informal. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's supposed to it's supposed to sort of mimic a conversation with friends which is a little more natural and free-flowing and a little bit, you're going to get off on a tangent. And obviously we, we try to cut out the tangents that are either we think are uninteresting or if we just get like a little too off on the in the woods for too long. Yeah, when we get 15 minutes in the weeds, our podcast editor will be like, uh, guys, I cut you off at like here. And it's like, okay, good call. Should we get into some slavery? Yeah. I mean, not literally getting into slavery. That would be bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's, uh, let's talk about slavery in POW. Yeah, but camps. this this I also, I just found this interesting because I, I, I don't have any recollection of this being covered in, in my history textbooks in high school or whatever. Um, I don't know about you. Did you, uh, did you hear any of this in your books? Some of this stuff did ring bells. Mm-hmm. Like I, I couldn't remember anything about it. But then also uh, that the one is, can I can I mention mm-hmm. one now? I know it's kind of in the order of things, but there's one that blew my mind. Like that the UK used German prisoner forced labor for like payment of reparations, which were you know the German fines after after the war. And they were like, mm, we'll just use these prisoners as labor. 
and call it like payment in reparations. <laughs> and it was a quarter of the workforce in the in the country was this. Yeah, for the agri- agricultural, yeah, like the farming. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Of, of, of farming mm-hmm. and stuff. I never heard about this and reading that blew my mind. Yeah. I'm like, seriously, 1946, a quarter of all the agricultural work in the country of the UK was done by German prisoners. Yeah. Amazing. Anyway, that, that was really out of place, but it just like in terms of, I feel that this should be maybe something you learn about in history yeah. class. Yeah, it's, it's so we were kind of right and wrong in that we were wrong to think that it that it happened sort of during the war because during the war it turns out the uh, the allies were were quite strict to you know sticking to the geneva conventions for the most part i mean obviously there's isolated incidents where like you know some people some germans would surrender and then they're like ah we don't want to take the effort to actually bring them back to pow here we'll just shoot them you know like there's there's this sort of like isolated incidents where soldiers would do these things that they weren't supposed to do but overall very very strictly stuck to the geneva conventions it appears for the you know uh, other than these sort of isolated incidents, then you get to kind of at the end of the war. And as some of the stuff would come out about what the Germans had been doing on their side of things. And uh, and then, of course, when the war ended and there was, um, you know, all the all the allied prisoners were freed. And so now there was there wasn't even the threat of what would happen to the remaining prisoners anymore. And then they kind of went the allies kind of went the other way and were like, yeah, we're going to go ahead and just throw out the Geneva Convention on this and we're we're going to justify it from sort of a, I don't know, legal standpoint, I guess you might say. Uh, so instead yeah. of instead of calling them prisoners of war, they used a tactic used by the Nazi Germany in the late 1930s, where Nazi Germany argued that they're, that they're captured prisoners of, of war, were not prisoners of war because they'd absorbed those nations. And so those were no longer nations. And if they weren't nations, now they weren't, these weren't prisoners of war, they were just prisoners and we can do what we want with them. Wow, that is some that is some legal yeah, maneuvering. This right was there. Nazi Germany's justification, so the Allies were happy to adopt the exact same thought process after the war with with the with the few several million German prisoners. You know, all the all the German you know army had surrendered and everything. So instead of what did they call them? It wasn't the prisoners of war. They called them. They renamed it the disarmed enemy forces yeah. and belonging to a state that no longer existed, Nazi Germany. So yeah, they take exactly the same thing. It's like Nazi Germany doesn't exist. So like neither did France. So that's cool. Right, guys? So yeah, so instead they call them the disarmed enemy forces belonging to a state that no longer exists, Nazi Germany. So yeah, this is, uh, this is you know, their, their way of justifying it. And so there was a couple things happening here. They were like, on the one hand, uh, for the first part, I mean, like the Allies, they were angry. They saw what was hap- what had happened in the in the POW camps, the German ones, and they they and of course what happened to much of Europe and stuff, all the you know famine and devastation and everything. And they were everyone was upset, and so they were you know there was this some thought of just sort of like taking it out on the Germans, which is uh, as uh, U.S. U.S. General General Lucius Clay noted. I feel that the Germans should suffer from hunger and from cold, as I believe such suffering is necessary to make them realize the consequences of a war which they caused. Which is, is kind of all well and good, Lucius, but yeah. it's not really how justice yeah. works. And if you're a general in the military, yeah. I think, I, I understand, you know, there's a lot of negative feelings and all of this stuff. And, you know, mentioning the kind of Geneva Convention, how it kind of went out the window, because, well, it went out the window for the Nazis, I kind of... You can understand how people, like especially, you know, your everyday soldier, would feel, well, if you guys weren't obeying the Geneva Convention for all of these years and you were essentially just, you know, killing civilians and soldiers alike and our friends who were over there, screw you guys. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I feel like 
the higher up you go, the more cooler head you should perhaps mm-hmm. have. And it doesn't seem like a very responsible thing for a big general to say publicly mm-hmm. that it's like, it's okay that we're basically, you know, torturing them now because they deserve it. Like, aren't we supposed to be better than them? Isn't that the point yeah. of this? Yeah, and so there was this, there was this sentiment in like France, so for the French um, and the in the UK too, they, they were using the German uh, prisoners uh, the soldiers yeah. to like look for mines you know they had to go out in minefields and clear them that was their job oh. and of course just general labor rebuilding farming this sort of stuff they were using them uh, but of course they reserved the most dangerous tasks also for their german prisoners to go force them to do and so there was there was this sort of and, and a lot of that like it, it of all of them the uk actually uh is generally thought to have treated the prisoners the best they still used them for for forced labor but their their actual treatment of them was pretty good uh, for the most part, at least compared to, you know, France and, and, and the U.S. But yeah, there, in all cases, it wasn't exactly adhering to the Geneva Conventions because also, uh, I believe it was uh, something like two or three months after a, a war would end, you were supposed to release all prisoners. Like that was just a thing that was supposed to happen. And this didn't happen. This yeah. this went on for several years. Um, it sort of all ended sort of in the late 1940s, I believe it was. But yeah, so um, mm-hmm. kind of going back, the, the other the other reason was just the practical nature of it. So you had... Like, for instance, the U.S. was in charge of a few million German soldiers, which they suddenly had on their hands. They didn't have any place to put them. Uh, They didn't have food and resources because, I mean, there was, you know, mass, you know, resources were just not there because they had all been used for the war effort. And there was just, you know, uh, food shortages and all this. So it wasn't there. So there was also the practical side of this is the U.S. really couldn't adhere to the Geneva Conventions and treat the soldiers or the captured prisoners as they should have because they didn't have the resources to do it. Um, and they even went so far as um, to put actual the German soldier prisoners in charge of the camps. Yeah. So they would they would select out certain certain of the soldiers who would then be the guards and the cooks yeah. and all this. And they would do they were running the camps, kind of overseeing. And it turns out that was also a bad idea because a lot of these a lot of the the treatment actually got worse. Um, the way the way they were treating they were quite brutal, beating them and stuff. Even though it was the German soldiers, like a subset of them that were in charge, and what they got in return for their their aid in this was, you know, like more rations and thing, more food and stuff. But as for the rest of them, for instance, uh, it was something estimated about three to 10,000 U.S. held German prisoners mm-hmm. died of starvation, uh, exposure to the elements, because they, they were literally just like, here's a piece of ground. That's that's your your little place. We don't even have like cover, shelter or anything. You can dig a hole in the ground. And this was the thing they would do. They dig a hole in the ground to kind of make a soft spot to lay for a bed. And uh, yeah, this was not good not exactly a Geneva Convention. I yeah. mean, I, I mean, I don't want to defend the UK making these people work as essentially slave labor, yeah. but that sounds worse. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was quite worse. They had pretty brutal beatings and things that were going on. They even at one point, supposedly, there were some of the camps that the US just kind of forgot they had and it was being run by the German wow. soldiers. And so they weren't and they weren't <laughs> providing the resources. They didn't have the resources to provide the you know, provide for everyone. Uh, they also, the U.S., uh, in uh, the U.S. occupation zone of Germany, uh, if you were 14 to 65 years old, whether you were a prisoner or not, yeah. you could potentially made to do, do compulsory labor if they needed you for something. And if you didn't, you could be imprisoned. There's a lot of, you know, post-World War II. I mean, I can't remember what it's called, but famously uh, here in, in Czech, when the, when the war ended and there were kind of ethnic Germans who lived in what was, you know, a captured part of Czechoslovakia, in the West, and then after the the war, the Czechs like drove all the Germans out. They were like, "You're no longer welcome here." Mm-hmm. And it's like, "But I live here. This is my home." And they were like, "Yep, but you know, in our country, mm-hmm. go mm-hmm. on." And they kind of chased them out, and there were like these marches and stuff, and it was all kind of a 
not a nice period in history. But this kind of revenge, I guess, you know, it, it, you, you see it in the in the UK and the US where it was like, well, you guys threw the Geneva Convention out. It's just this whole mess of mm-hmm. you guys were really bad. Mm-hmm. So now we feel like we can be bad to you too. It's kind of like the, the kid who was bullied is the kid who becomes mm-hmm. the bully. Mm-hmm. And then there's another fine example of humanity where it's like, oh, okay, let's put the Germans in charge of their own people and, you know, in these in these US camps or whatever. And it's like, yeah, another lovely example of humanity where they start treating them worse than the US soldiers yeah. were. Like just for a bit more food or a bit more. So so you, you think about the uh, the motivations of the German soldiers there who were in charge. Why were they treating them so brutally? Was it a, because they just maybe they were, you know, former SS or something. That was just the way they did things. Were they afraid of like an yeah. uprising because they're largely outnumbered and don't have the resources to manage that many prisoners? Yeah. Were they were they angry themselves because maybe they maybe they hadn't even wanted to be in the war. You know, they just got conscripted or whatever. And, you know, maybe they're angry that the whole thing had happened in the first place. So they were maybe targeting out people they knew were former, like, you know, more top people who were kind of in charge. And who knows, really? But uh, it's interesting. But on the on the on the as the controversy sort of swelled later in the 1940s, as particularly in the UK, uh, that was one of the ways the UK kind of I don't know absolved themselves a little bit was to they they one they didn't want to just release the prisoners because they needed that agricultural labor uh, and but they also were kind of realizing that oh, maybe we're not doing the most morally right thing here so uh, they they did offer they did eventually offer that uh, any of the the german soldiers a lot of them they could stay in the uk's and become uk citizens if they wanted it's an interesting choice isn't it you can stay in the economically crushed <laughs> uk or you can go to the slightly more economically crushed germany You're yeah cool. most most people went home but it was i think it was something like 20 or thirty thousand of them chose to stay so whether that probably would have been about maybe Five percent or something that we're that the UK were in charge of. I think something like that at, at that point. I don't know, but um, that's interesting. I mean, because there's going to be even if you're not a Nazi, there's going to be a lot of anti-German sentiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, wartime propaganda, mm-hmm. what the Nazis were actually doing, all of this stuff. It's not going to have been easy to be a German yeah. in the UK or anywhere in Europe or maybe the world. But if you if you what if it, what if you had been sent back as uh, East Germany, right? Like, what if that was your home before? I mean, you're not going to want to go there. <laughs> Right at this point, yeah, uh, you're gonna be like, no, nah, I'm good. I'll stay. Yeah, it's like I'll face the I'll face the, the the racism in the UK rather than go back. And it's like, oh, you know, quickly behind the iron yeah, curtain. Yeah. <laughs> Several decades of a good time, <laughs> not. Anyways, that was I thought that was interesting. Not something I had ever heard of before, and uh, it was quite fascinating. I, I, I got to say again that quarter of those people, a uh, quarter of the labor in the agriculture done by those Germans. Yeah. That's. Uh, yeah, you can you can see why they'd want them to stay because it's like, oh, if you were, it reminds me of the current, you know, at the time of recording Brexit is in the news that it has been for the last two de- uh, two decades, two years over over here, and it kind of reminds me of that. It's like we had the European Union, so there's lots of labour that comes to the UK and does nursing jobs is is often used as a big example, and then it's like, mm, but if we suddenly say these people can't work here. Where are all the nurses going to come from? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so now they you can see when they were like, we need some people to stay because where are all the farm laborers going to come mm-hmm. from? Especially with I imagine death dolls pretty high among able-bodied men at the time. We should move on to more uh more upbeat, maybe content. <laughs> yes. I feel like every every week we're like, oh, we did do the one about uh, the war bear, which was uh, relatively upbeat. But I feel like we've been on a bit of a track of, you know, <laughs> rather morbid topics lately. Let's bring it back around to space DJs. Space DJs. Yeah, this is a real sort of thing with, uh, with NASA, or I should say it was. It's not now because of the, um, because they're uh, on, the, on the International Space Station, they don't do it quite. It's not like a 
a set tradition like it was before when NASA was sending up the space shuttles and stuff. And uh, even before that, going all the way back, it turns out to 1965, NASA has had this tradition of basically when the astronauts are up there and they're sleeping and then they want to wake them up. So what do they wake them up to? You know, they just say, hey, wake up or whatever. No, they instead choose music. Do, do alarm clocks not work in space? Could you not like take up, a, you know, do not, I guess you don't take your iPhone to space yeah. or whatever, but you know, does this not exist? Yeah, I, I, I guess they would wake them up themselves. And so they'd also, this, so they basically just play music for them uh, to wake up. And, they're, yeah. and the, the Capcom person is in charge of picking what, what song is played or what songs or what's said or whatever when they do. And this kind of also functions to let the astronauts kind of wake up slowly before they actually have to respond so they can spend a few minutes just sitting there, you know you know, kind of yeah. starting their brains before they actually have to start talking and doing some work and everything. So, so yeah, the, uh, and by the way, Capcom, I didn't, I didn't, uh, if anyone's wondering, it's a capsule communicator was what that was originally, you know, shortened for. And it was just the, you know, it's the person charged to talking back and forth between the, the spacecraft and the ground control. I didn't know that. And I feel like I've seen Apollo 13. Yeah. yeah. Like I mean, you always times, see him talking, so. but I didn't, I didn't know actually exactly what the Capcom, I mean, I assumed the com was for communicator, but, uh, but yeah, what the first part was. So it's a capsule apparently. Yeah. This is usually not only this, this person is, is usually a, a astronaut or a former astronaut because they figured they have the best, you know, rapport with the astronauts up there and kind of have experience yeah. and know what it's like so they you know can be the most empathetic of whatever's going on but also so not only do they get to say they're an astronaut but they also can add space dj to their to their thing because they're now picking the music um that's that's going up there it's a fairly impressive resume isn't it depending on what you want to get into next yeah Yeah. whether that's music production or higher up in nasa yeah and they can also put i mean just capcom they were capcom for nasa for at least one mission or it's an impressive resume no doubt but uh, so, yeah, the first instance of this goes all the way back to 1965 in the Gemini 6 mission. And this, uh, there's a guy, it's a archivist and historian, Colin Free, Fries or Fries, maybe? Probably Fries, right? I, I, it's spelled like French yeah, fries, yeah. but I feel like it could, could go know. either way. I feel like it could be freeze. Maybe it's German. Yeah, or but uh, either way, he was the he was the guy who's really uh, put a lot of effort into tracking all this down and exactly what songs. Because of course, there's records of it everywhere, but no one had before actually gone through and seen like every what's every single song that's been played. And so he goes back. Also, this is this is a contemporary historian. Yeah. This is a guy doing. Yeah, it and today. so he he went back and yeah. the, the earliest uh, instance of this he could find was uh, 1965, the Gemini Six mission on uh, December 16th, and uh, it's not clear why they did it all of a sudden, but it's thought maybe it's just a joke. It was just like a joke, a funny thing to yeah. do. Uh, so where the uh, the astronauts, uh, Walter Shearer and Tom Stafford, were woken up by uh, Hello, Dolly by Jack Jones, the singing by Jack Jones. And so... I don't know that. I, I didn't know it either. I had, to, I had to Google and listen to it. It wasn't... Uh, How is it? Eh, not great. I didn't think. No, no, <laughs> but, you know, this this was what they got woken up to. I was just, uh, just as a, as a side comment here, like talking about uh, Colin Freezer Fries. One, one thing that is cool is... This guy's obviously into this. Like he's done this research back until 1965. So this is like, I imagine a big part of like, you know, something he's done. So there's a chance that he kind of keeps up with news about this and space DJs and Mm -hmm. stuff. And at some point in the future, when this podcast gets listened to by a few more people, someone might even point this out to Mr. Freeze or Fries. Like the number of times we've done a video about someone specific, like about Bob Ross or any Mm -hmm. of these guys, and someone drops us an email being like, oh, hey, I I know him or I knew him or I represent him or Mm -hmm. we do this, is surprisingly common. 
So at some point, maybe Mr. Freeze or Fries will will drop us an email and be like, "It's uh, it's it's freeze you." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. Always surprises me as well, and it's also kind of fun when um, like the uh, it's also something of a missed opportunity. Sometimes we should actually check and see with these people because sometimes like we had the crop circles one, like who started the crop circles and where did that come from? Oh yeah, that guy. Yeah, and he show. was like, yeah, and it was like someone he knew or something had saw it and so sent it to him, and he was like, yeah, and so we could have like interviewed him for the video. That would have been so cool. And he's in the UK. It's relatively yeah, nice. It is surprising how often that happens, but uh, yeah, that's cool. So yeah, so they over the years, uh, it's been many decades of this. Anytime the astronauts need to wake up, they'll they'll do this this thing. And so they uh, see so everything from like Bach and Beethoven to Metallica, Beastie Boys, this sort of stuff. Can you imagine being woken up by the Beastie yeah. Boys? It's like I don't, it's not really what I have on my alarm. Like I can imagine some you know some Bach or some yeah. Beethoven, but sabotage. It's like oh god. <laughs> why and everyone has to listen to this yeah right? yeah everyone and this is this actually causes a little friction sometimes because you have like a, a wild <laughs> blue yonder so the air force song or whatever so if they had navy people aboard you know at the same time they're like hey yeah. what are you doing here you know yeah so they have it's usually though it's it's with the taste of the astronauts so the capcom will actually sometimes call the family members and loved ones and friends and stuff people who know them and say what does this person like to listen to um, so they can pick stuff. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll even do like, um, sometimes they'll even let the family do something like if it's going to be the astronaut's birthday or one of them, their birthday, they'll have them, you know, maybe the family will sing happy birthday and that's what they'll all wake up to on that given day or stuff like that. Um, so they they also had like uh, kind of some funny ones. So like whenever there's a, a Japanese uh, descent or Japanese astronaut, they'll do like something often Godzilla based. That doesn't sound like stereotypes. Yeah, it doesn't. Like all Japanese people love I know, that. that I, thought, I thought that was kind of funny. So, but like for example, in 2008, the Spatial Atlantis, the STS-123, uh, uh, the Capcom played Godzilla versus Space Godzilla. Is that a movie? I'm assuming that's a movie. Wow. They played the theme song for that. They couldn't even give Space Godzilla a different name. They chose, it's space like, what should we Godzilla. call this Godzilla from space? Uh... Space Godzilla, apparently, <laughs> and they also uh, tacked on the, some of the Blue Oyster Cult song Godzilla, and it was for the uh, Japanese uh, astronaut. Uh, what do you think, Takao uh, Takao Doi, probably? Oh, the guy's name, I, I guess Takao Doi, yeah. but the the, the sign off. Oh Japanese. yeah, no, you so you totally have to um, read that. I'm not going to read that. <laughs> well, okay, the first bit is Good Morning Endeavor. I can get that right. Uh, Doi san ahayo gozai masu, maybe. Yeah. Uh, sure. Anyway, then it goes on from mission. Con- thank you <laughs> from mission control here in Houston. Take on today like a monster. The nice thing about Japanese, though, is because they use uh, is, is it pictographs, pictograms. What do they call a uh, character-based language? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, the nice thing is, like when they translate it to uh, the Roman alphabet, mm-hmm. Roman alphabet. I get confused whether it's Roman or Latin, but you know, A B C D E. Uh, that it's largely done phonetically. So actually, like reading Japanese written out, I can. I get that right far more often than something like Spanish or German because it's, you know, already in the Roman mm-hmm. alphabet. So, and then you don't know the pronunciation conventions, but when they take those Japanese pictograms and put them into the Roman alphabet, it's kind of like halfway. It's like what you would expect mm-hmm. it to mm-hmm. be. So like I imagine Doi-san is probably quite mm-hmm. accurate, mm-hmm. but yeah, uh, if you're Japanese, uh, drop us an email and let me know how terribly I did because I'm sure it was still really bad. Yeah, yeah we had that, uh, how were the kamikaze pilots chosen one? That didn't get good comments on our on our presentation there. It's like, I mean, there's so much I can do. It's, the, my, I think I've talked about this previously, so I won't like I won't go on about it too much. But there's a big website called forvo.com which has like loads of pronunciations, but it doesn't have them all. 
And then if there's something that's really complicated, I'll put it into Google Translate and have the Japanese robot lady read it to me, which uh, is is often well and that one that one that one particularly had a ton of japanese names which is also because the names are often don't really adhere to what you might otherwise think Mm -hmm. so yeah so so yeah other popular ones are probably like uh, so yeah they had like david bowie's space oddity elton john's rocket man these these sort of things are are the the yeah the common ones and they the the general rule is just kind of what the people like or sometimes the the capcom is just trying to be funny and so they'll do um uh, but they usually try to keep it pretty low key, not to be too startling mm. when they wake them up. But there is exceptions. So they had the like the beast. Yeah, exactly. Voice. I'm sure that was an exception. But uh, yeah, Metallica yeah. commander uh, Chris Hadfield. Actually, he he did he once uh, blasted it. Uh, the U2 rendition of Mission Impossible theme song. Uh, just cranked it up as loud yeah. as he could get it. And uh, yeah, then uh, the, oh, the, uh, in STS-98 in 2001, they they used mm. Who Let the Dogs Out. Oh. Yeah, oh. That is a train wreck. Yeah, this this was for uh, this was in homage to the uh, Kenneth Cockrell was a, he was a member of the STS-69 in 1995, and that they were nicknamed the Dog mm-hmm. Crew too for some reason. So dog, oh. but that's uh, yeah. But uh, do we know no, why? I did. I don't know. And why that too? I, well, who was the first Dog okay. Crew? That's what I was wondering. Dog, yeah. But, <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so yeah, actually, speaking of that, the the Rolling Stones actually did. Yeah. I looked it up because I was wondering that that is like one of the worst songs ever. The the Who Let the Dogs Out, and uh, it turns out Rolling Stone agreed, and they named it as the third most yeah. annoying song in history behind My Humps. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, by Black Eyed Peas. Well deserved. And uh, and uh, Macarena song by Lois <sighs> Los Del Rio. Oh. I don't care if we're pronouncing that wrong. I'm completely okay yeah. with that. And, God, and like a terrible junior songs. high and high school, that was like a thing. People are so bad. Did you miss out on that one? No, because it became like a a, a disco song yeah. or whatever. So it would be like every you know high school dance, yeah. or whatever the you know thing. It'd be like Macarena. And does it? I'm always amazed. Like I feel like I just don't know this dance, but everyone else seems to know this dance. Yeah. And so you just end up being like, yeah, sure, I know this dance, and you don't, and you just it, it's weird mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. awkward. And I, I don't know, do people just, this was before YouTube as well. So it's like, where do you learn? Yeah, that, that is interesting. Dots? I guess how did that disseminate like that? There was probably like on VH1 or MTV or something, there was probably a music video or something. Of all these three songs, rank them for me. Because I don't think I agree with their their ranking. Because the My Hump song for me is... is yeah, that's tough. I would probably do... Is, is really bad. I would probably do the Who Let the Dogs Out number one worst, the Macarena number... Oh. How can like, that be worse than Macarena? My very close, and then my hums number three, and they're all terrible. But yeah, just right. they are stuck in your head. And, yeah, my hums, no, don't stop. My lovely. <laughs> oh, <laughs> good lord, we haven't even heard it. And uh, one of my favorite, you know, those like uh, Chuck Norris jokes yeah. was uh, the Black Eyed Peas were just called the Peas <laughs> until Chuck Norris heard their music. That's good. And I'm like, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Um, wait, why were these songs in there? Did, were these played? No, that's, this was just the Rolling Stone thing? list. Uh, I, I, I was curious about where, where, who let the dogs out. Because I was thinking like, that's probably one of the worst songs. I mean, uh, surely other people must think so too. And turns out when I looked it up, yes, yeah. Rolling Stone had it number three as their number three on the list. They can't play that in space because the astronauts, it'll give them space <laughs> yeah. dementia. Yeah, space dementia. Did you like that? Yeah. Did, did you like that? Have you seen that movie? You must have yeah. seen the movie Space Dementia. Uh, Armageddon yeah. where Steve Buscemi's character gets space yeah. dementia. It's like, that's absolutely not a real yeah. thing. And he so, wouldn't okay. have a gun so in space. Side, side fact here with that Armageddon, there was, there was, a, there was a brief yeah. time where NASA actually used that Armageddon movie where they would they would play it for as a sort of the application process for for the astronauts 
uh, you had to you had to go yeah. through and identify all the errors, like all the you know what would actually happen or this, and then you know you just write down as many as you could come up with. And it turns out I don't remember the number, but it was like a few hundred like very distinct things. So it's like you could just sit there scribbling down, writing as fast as you can the entire movie, and just to come up with the uh, the list. But I feel like that's not shocking enough, and I need to say only several yeah, hundred. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that it's not a great movie. It's entertaining. What are your feelings of Almageddon? I, I, it's super entertaining. I think it's it's one of those that's like entertaining in its own way. It's not really, you know, it's like the Marvel movies again. You don't take it seriously. It's it plot holes everywhere and uh, doesn't make any sense, but it's sort of just entertaining to have on. Dude, and speaking about, you know, that ending, I could stay <laughs> away. And, it's just, and just as the bomb goes off, it's like, oh, wow, that was emotionally manipulative, yeah. but amazing. Yeah. yeah. I bet that's been played in oh, space. Yeah. Someone's chosen sure. that one. That's a classic. So going back, they also do uh, celebrity ones. Uh, so, so so they'll actually do like songs, mm-hmm. but they'll also do like greeting wake up calls. And uh, so you had like William Shatner's done it. Paul McCartney, Elton John have done it. Um, they had one skit where it was like a Jim Henson and the Miss Piggy skit to wake the astronauts up. And then the... Oh, yeah, Jim Henson. The yeah, yeah. And then the best one of all was to the crew of Atlantis on November 25th, 1991. Okay. Got to be woken up like this is just amazing. Uh, Patrick Stewart... They got to be woken up by Patrick Stewart and uh, with the sort of the Star Trek Next Generation theme playing in the background. And he said, well, uh, OK, so I'm going to I will read this because I Googled it and I really tried to find the uh, I, I didn't try it that hard. Maybe NASA. Do, do, do you know, do NASA? I'm assuming they just transcribe this stuff rather than keep records because this was 1990. Yeah, maybe they weren't recording. I doubt they have a record of the of the actual recording. But yeah, just the transcription is there, which is unfortunate because that would be in the public domain if they did. And we could play it on this podcast. But yes, exactly. Yeah. I put the note on the side. This is NASA. It's US government. It's all public domain, which is a glorious thing that your country yeah. have done. Unfortunate, we don't have Patrick Stewart's audio. Maybe we can dig it out. Uh, but I'm assuming not. So here we go. Space. The final frontier. This is the voyage of the Space Shuttle Atlantis, its 10-day mission to explore new methods of remote sensing and observation of the planet Earth, to seek out new data on radiation in space and a new understanding of the effects of microgravity on the human body, to boldly go where 255 men and women have gone before. (laughs) Hello Fred, Tom, Story, Jim, Tom, and especially Mario. This is Patrick Stewart, choosing not to outrank you as Captain Jean-Luc Picard, saying that we are confident of a productive and successful mission. Make it so. And this must be at the height of, I mean, this is season four or uh, five, yeah. Next Generation, yeah, yeah. so the height, the height of Next Generation. That's, and how cool would that be? You're not only an astronaut, but you're getting woken up by Patrick Stewart while you're in space yeah. as, 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 pretty as like Jean-Luc Picard character. That's great. A, a little bit of follow-up from previous podcast discussion about Patrick Stewart's uh, returning mm-hmm, to Star mm-hmm. Trek. It seems to all be legendary, uh, rumor, but not, it's not really been denied. Patrick Stewart has not said that's not. They happening. absolutely have so. to do it because one of one of the areas they haven't explored. You know, so they could always do like another one. They're exploring space, but you know, it would be cool, and it would kind of, I think, bring in some other audience as well. Is to do it back at the at the actual Starfleet headquarters. You know, you always have these admirals, and they're always really stupid and yes. like do do stupid things. And so put put admiral. Jean-Luc Picard back at the, spa- at the headquarters, then they could do so many cameos with, like, you know, presumably like Captain LaForge going around and like Dude. 
president of the yeah, world. Jean-Luc exactly. Picard, this this is sort of, of like you cross yeah. West Wing with Star Trek, the next generation, and you get this. And with Patrick Stewart kind of at the helm, the main character, you know, because those are always the best episodes of Star Trek Next Generation where he's like, you know, he's doing this like this philosophical discussions about laws and like these sort of things. Those are always like the greatest ones. So this would be like every episode could be like that kind of thing. Uh, and and they could mix in. I 100% agree. I think he would they be could amazing. mix in some you know more action oriented ones where they do where they're off you know he's commanding some captain to go off doing this and have lots of different reoccurring like characters like that and uh, and bring up bring back some of the others just for little cameos and stuff. It'd be great. And like the way they make TV, the way they make TV shows nowadays. I think if you haven't seen it yet, but Star Trek mm-hmm. Discovery, it's like there's multiple threads going on. It doesn't yeah. have to be you know the. Uh, I always think I know it doesn't apply to Star Trek, but like the the monster of the Mm -hmm. week, where it's like, this is a very contained one episode story arc and no one will remember anything about it in the Mm -hmm. previous episode. It's that one where it's like uh, Jean-Luc Picard is captured by an alien space probe taken to another planet where he lives out the rest of his life. Yeah, And then it turns out that that was just a simulation. It's like... The inner light. The inner light, thank you. Uh, And it's like, this is just not mentioned. Yeah, not really. I mean, it's mentioned much later and they have like the flute coming back. But it's like, I feel like... He's going to need decades of therapy. He's going to be on Counselor Troy's couch. Then before that, he has the Borg and, you know, incident where he's, you know, like destroying humanity, basically. And, the, yeah. and his, his only outlet seems to be where he smashes the glass in first yeah, contact. Which is a great scene. Thing, and he's like, yeah. they will not take the ship or whatever. He's a god. Where is the little this, this far and no further line? That's great. Oh, yeah. This far, no further. This is yeah. so great. I, I got to watch this movie again for the billionth time. Anyway. Yeah, but this, this I feel like is a great avenue for them to go. It's, it's an area that they haven't really explored much in any of the shows and could mm-hmm. be could be really good and also appeal to the people who like more of that style. And then they could also have the action stuff going and, you know, see kind of a mix of that philosophical and action. It would be a great, it would be an awesome show. And especially, I think what might have prevented that happening in the past, maybe in, in the 90s, and I don't know if this is just my personal like feel about where the, where the market is, is in the 90s, like science fiction was far less cool than science fiction is today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I feel science fiction has had like a resurgence of, now it's like half the movies in the cinema seem to be comic book movies or sci-fi mm-hmm. movies. Whereas I feel in the 90s, it was a lot of Tom Cruise on a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. And that was what was cool. It was like military. It was this. Now sci-fi seems to be in vogue. So I think a lot of like thinking, you know, back you know, 10 years ago or whatever with Star Trek or 20 years ago was why would we just add this non-cool element to something like the West Wing? Why would we just make this slightly less mm-hmm. cool than it, you know, than a, a contemporary political thriller? But now I think that's gone. So mm-hmm. I think now's, now's the time. Yeah. Now's the time yeah. for Star Trek, the West Wing. And you know, you, you slap Patrick Stewart in there, it's going to get at least... It's going to get the initial views. And then if it's good, if it's yeah. good, it'll stick around quite well. Uh, so, yeah. Let's talk about uh, what was actually happening. What, what like, uh, that was, that was a good time. Ta- I'm, I'm very, uh, even though I, you know, we had, we had that three star review. Now I'm like, we shouldn't banter so much. But then I realized this podcast is about the banter. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that, that's, uh, that was actually kind of wrapping up these, these things. Uh, so once the space shuttle program was ended, uh, then this is, they still kind of do it sometimes aboard the, um, the ISS, but it's not like, uh, it's not like a, a thing that they always do. Um, but presumably, oh, this it's ended? not really ended. It's just that NASA doesn't really send up stuff that they're doing all by themselves, you know, like they don't really, 
So uh, it's kind of in cooperation with other nations and things. So this one, uh, this it's presumed that this tradition will will once again continue once NASA, you know, starts launching their, you know, Mars missions. And again, once they start sending people to space again uh, by themselves. But um, yeah, for now, it's more of an intermittent thing. But it used to be a thing that they always did. I feel like NASA pays for enough of the International Space Station to get like yeah. uh, broadcast rights. Yeah. Yeah, when you th- you'd think everyone like would, okay. would like it, but yeah. Yeah, and I think in terms of like, what's cool about the International Space Station is you have all these different cultures mm-hmm. up there, like living in peace and mm-hmm. harmony and doing things to better mankind. And I feel like culturally, yeah. it'd be pretty great to have like, I, I, if I was an astronaut, I'd be like, great, yeah, I'll choose the Beastie mm-hmm. Boys. And then my Russian comrade will be playing some Russian pop song and I'll be like, that's awesome. I appreciate that. I do wonder though, do is it also a problem though of... Um, do they have a time when they all sleep or do they just kind of, because it's so big and there's so many, do they have where they're just kind of working 24 hours on stuff and, you know, some people sleep now and some people sleep elsewise? That, sir, is follow-up material. That is a fascinating thing that we should follow up on. Like, what is the space? What is the schedule in yeah. space? Also, another question I had, what do they do for fun? And that, like, do you work like an eight-hour day or a 12-hour day or are you expected to be working like every waking hour? Because if you're up there for like six months... yeah. Do you get like a week? I'm sure they have like, like what's sure they have scheduled that? downtime, but because it is so expensive every hour they're up there, everything they're eating, I'm sure it's like right. not a lot of downtime, I would think. But yeah, if you are going to be up there for like a year, I mean, you need a little break sometimes. Well, I mean, speaking of expenses, I mean, I know military is not the same level of expense, but it's like if you're deployed somewhere and it's, you know, it's costing the military a fortune to keep you there and keep you fed and employed and all of this stuff. It's like you still get some time mm-hmm. off while mm-hmm. you're there because otherwise you're just going to go insane. Especially you're living in a relatively high stress environment and physically high stress mm-hmm. as well. Like even though kind of well, which we're going to talk about in a moment. It's like you think it's weightless. What's the physical stress? And it's like fairly enormous. Follow up for next time. This will be a good yeah. follow up. Yeah, fantastic. Good. We won't talk out of our asses while we while we guess. Instead, we'll come back with some hard facts. Today I found out style. Do you want to know how I first heard about this? How I found out about space mm-hmm. DJs? Familiar with a band called Something Corporate? No. They uh they've done. Their, their biggest and most famous song is, is like called Constantine. It's a great song. In fact, they're one of my favorite bands. And these guys, they released like, they, they broke up maybe 10 years ago. And then they released like a best of album. And it was called Played in Space. And I was like, what's that about? So like, I looked it up. Oh. And it turns out one of their songs was chosen by one of the astronauts to be the, I don't remember which mm-hmm. one it was. Oh, I do know what it was. It was one of their songs about space. And there is a song and they sing about space and stuff. It's, I think it's more about like physical space, mm-hmm. like getting physical space or mental space or something. Or maybe it was one they did another song called The Astronaut. <laughs> Follow up time. Uh, I should have done some research on this. But this is how I first found out about it because I Googled something corporate played in space, the name of the compilation album. And they were like, this was played on this mission. And I'm like, there you go. That's very cool. And then I found out about this whole thing. It's one of the very rare times in my life where one of my bits of general knowledge did not come from a Today I Found Out video. Everyone should go listen to something corporate, by the way. They're fantastic. Now we're moving on to the pillow nuts. So what are these what are these people? So NASA, obviously, they study people in space a lot. They study, you know, they're I mean they're as we'll get into it next to it next uh, next time is they are they're they're literally weighing the poop that comes out of them when they get when they bring mm-hmm. it back to Earth to to see how much, you know, what was the what was the volume and <laughs> consistency and stuff. So they're looking at all this stuff, but they also the torment never ends. You spend six months in space doing experiments, never stopping working, like pooping yeah. in the various devices that we're going to yeah. talk about. And they're like, and now you're back. We need to collect yeah, yeah, it. Dirt. 
This was because, you know, especially during the Apollo missions, this was they wanted to, you know, it was good research to look at all this stuff. So they're so they're always studying everything, the vital signs, everything that's happening in space. What what when you get back the physical therapy, they're looking at all these sorts of things, bone mass, muscle mass, all this stuff. But mm-hmm. they also need they like a bigger sample size and they'd like to project what will happen when like you're going to Mars, for instance. Uh, so when you're going to be in space for a really, really long time. Um, so they do have like the International Space Station and stuff like that, but they want a bigger sample size. So they look and they, their solution was something that's kind of called the pillow knots. And this is basically, this sounds like a great a great gig, right? So, so for a three-month stretch, uh, when NASA is doing these studies, they will pay you $20,000 total. And it cover, also cover your room yeah. and board and all that, uh, as you'll see, it uh, kind of goes hand in hand, to have you just lay there for three months straight. You're okay. just going to lay there and, yeah. be, you know, be subjected to various experiments and stuff that they'll do. And they're monitoring you the entire time. And this this sounds really great, right? So, and naturally, they get tens of thousands of people who apply to these studies when they do them. You know what's fun? I didn't tell you this before we started recording this mm-hmm. episode, but I have some personal experience really? with this. Really? Yeah. Um, it's not quite this, but uh, you must have heard about like the medical trials where they mm-hmm. test the yeah, medicines yeah. on people. So it's like, you know, the first in human mm-hmm. studies. I have done oh, yeah. these and it, 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 we'll get into it and I'll bring it up when I think okay. it's appropriate. But like there are, I mean, I didn't never did something for three months. I think the longest one I did was mm-hmm. a month, but the money's about equivalent. Mm-hmm. And also it was a lot less brutal than what these guys had to go through. But the kind of the, I'll, I'll tell you about it as we okay. go through, but it's, uh, it's, it's a whole fascinating thing. This was back in the day, Simon, like student Simon, and he wanted to go traveling for six months. It's like, how can I make money and not work? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this is uh, this is basically you go, you you sign up and they'll sift through and they're looking mm-hmm. for, I mean, they're kind of, NASA's looking for people who are in top physical shape. They want people to just like the, you know, the astronauts are. So they're going, putting them through a lot of the same tests. They need to be like uh, also between ages of 24 and 55, non-smoking, uh, do psychological screening, all this stuff. You have to pass all the little, yep, yeah, all pass stuff. all the all the type of tests that the astronauts would do, and then if you're picked, uh, if you're if you're one of the the uh, I, I think unlucky ones picked, uh, the reality of the whole thing is not nearly as fun as you might think. So while you are laying in bed for for you know three months straight, you're just laying there. Uh, you can do whatever you want for the most part as long as you just lay there. So you can read, you can surf the internet, whatever. But you do have to just lay there, and you can't. The only time you're allowed to like get up a little bit is when you're uh, when you're eating they'll let you to prep prop yourself up on your elbow uh, one elbow only and then just for the duration of the eating and speaking of that well what they are feeding you is this really bland you know astronaut food basically and uh, you have to as part of the study you have to eat every single little gram of everything they give you uh, doesn't matter even if you, if like if you didn't eat all the ketchup they'll send the ketchup packet back and be like nope you got to eat this ketchup but you can't eat it with it at that point yeah. you just got to lick lick the ketchup out or whatever you know this was the thing that they had on the mm-hmm. ones i did it was like you'd be presented your food and it was it, it was really it was really weird for me because you had the the main meal at lunchtime because that's when the the, the kitchen in the hospital was open and then you have to have sandwiches mm-hmm. for dinner and it's like, I don't know, I just always like having my main meal yeah, in the evening. Yeah. It's like, because then it's like 11 o'clock and you're, you're like, mm, I'm kind of hungry mm-hmm. now. But yeah, they would make you eat yeah. everything. So it'd be like, if there's a salt packet with it, you've got to put that whole salt packet mm-hmm. on your food because, and everyone would have exactly the same mm-hmm. food. And if, if they saw you like giving your food to someone else or it's like, do you want my beans? They'd be like, uh-uh, not happening. So they'd be yeah. watching you. Because they've got to, you know, it's got for the data. It's all got to yeah, be the same. Yeah, this is exactly what they did. And uh, yeah, it's just and not good food and not, it didn't matter if you're hungry or not, whatever you're eating, exactly what they give you all the time. And, but yep. that's not, that's not really the worst 
of this. I mean, obviously you might expect if you're laying there for three months straight without really being able to move, uh, th- this is going to mm-hmm. get uncomfortable after a while. Uh, and so they did, they did at least provide yeah, massages every other day, which I think if they're going to uh, come on massage every day, I mean, I think you would need it. Especially so like the time killing on yeah. these things is really yeah. the, the, the torturous part. You're lying in bed all day. There's only, I mean, I know the internet's big, mm-hmm. But there's only really so much ready you yeah. can rouse before you're like, I need to go yeah. somewhere. Yeah. Else. So some other things they do let them do. Uh, so they uh, they have rec- recreation time. So they sometimes will wheel them outside in the beds. You still can't move, <laughs> so you get some fresh air and sunshine. Yeah, and then sometimes they'll wheel them all in the same room so they can play like board games. But they can't actually, you know, like get up. So they, you know, they play that way uh, with, I assume, probably uh, people, NASA people, like moving the pieces or whatever. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so they do do stuff like this in recreation. But like if you needed to go to the bathroom, you have to ask for a bedpan and you can't get up. You still got to stay in the same position and then just go to the bathroom. Which is fine for peeing, but I don't want to yeah. think about the logistics of yeah. taking a dump in a bedpan while lying down. That doesn't seem like a... Uh... And then a nurse, and then directly after a nurse comes in and takes the bedpan out, that's that's not... I mean, probably anyone who's had an extended hospital stay is, and can't get out of bed have probably experienced this. Probably not exactly the best. It's probably something we're all going to yeah, experience some, at the end point. of our lives, assuming we... Yeah. Uh, make it yeah so but uh so that's this is still not all the worst of it the worst part it's already far worse than anything i did (laughs) yeah so it's quite quite uncomfortable for well i'll I'll just go right with the worst part the worst part is that they tilt the bed right and so for the mars missions when they were studying that they tilted it down about six degrees so your head was below your feet about six degrees and this is not comfortable at all this i mean you're causing near constant headaches occasional dizziness nausea puffy face swollen sinuses runny nose watery eyes stuff like this and it's uh, apparently it's it's way worse in the beginning after a while your body does adjust somewhat to it uh, so it's not so bad but but the beginning is pretty horrible and yeah you're just for for 3 months you're just tilted down 6 degrees except for when you're eating you're, you're allowed to prop yourself up on your elbow what's up with the 6 degrees uh, it's just it was they were trying to to simulate sort of zero gravity conditions as far as like your heart and things like that are concerned um, so they're kind of, oh, you're, okay. you're kind of elevated that way. Um, on the, on the flip side, when they're doing, I just thought maybe something, you know, with it being a Mars mission, maybe yeah. they wanted to like simulate that, uh, what is it? One third gravity. Yeah. Well, in, in this case, whatever. they're, they were more looking like the in-between time, but yeah, for the moon, that's exactly what they're looking for. One six gravity. And so they, mm-hmm. so when they instead elevated the head about 10 degrees, so your head's about 10 degrees higher than your feet. Which is a little bit better scenario oh, okay. in this case. Uh, so yeah, no, I'd much rather be like slightly. Yeah. Like in an airplane rather than, yeah. you know, like in an airplane seat rather than like in a inverted, yeah. weird, like head below thing. Yeah, this, I, 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 I would think this maybe put some stress on your heart though, because like I've done like the tilt table test. Have you ever done this? Like at the hospital or something? Like have you ever done it? No, what is that? Oh, you're basically on this thing, you're strapped to this table and they tilt it back. Uh, I don't know. It's, it's the, oh, I've seen this in house. Yeah. Like so house they MD, tilt the it show. and, and it puts a lot of strain on your heart and, uh, yeah, it ends up, it's not, it's not a good time. Um, but it, it, uh, so wait, why did you do this? Uh, you say it's like, you've never done the tilt table test. No, I, no, no, I don't know. This is, yeah, yeah, I've done this and it, it, uh, it was kind of funny cause they didn't expect it to do anything with me. They were, they were like, ah, it'll be, he'll be fine. Uh, and so, okay. so the doctor was literally like eating his lunch at the time and I'm supposed to be hooked up to IVs. I'm supposed to have all this emergency stuff ready just in case something happens. And they had yeah. none of that. And then I totally, I'm just talking like I have like five minutes in or something talking to the doctor, you know, he's eating his lunch and all of a sudden I'm like, Whoa, not feeling good. And he was like, Oh yeah. And then I'm just like, Whoa. And then like, I didn't actually pass out, but my heart did go down. Now get this down to 12 beats per minute. 
And, uh, and I did not wow. pass out. I couldn't see or, or my hearing was mostly gone, but I could still vaguely hear. And like, ooh, the worst experience ever because you feel like your skin is like you're like in the desert and it's like on fire and you're so thirsty, right? What causes it? That's just uh, some sort of, I don't know, syncope thing with the heart or nerve thing uh, with the, uh, I don't know, but... Uh, and this is what the table's supposed to do. Yeah, it's supposed to stress. Yeah, they didn't think it would happen. So yeah, there wasn't, it was, ah, I was fine. I mean, the, the part that they need to fix is that the tilt table, yeah. when they do fix it to go back to level, so you can lay down and so you, you know, that kind of makes things recover. Uh, at least in my case, it does. Uh, so this, it goes so slowly. It's like, like slowly going back. Like, and you're like, yeah, seriously, please. just unstrap me. I'll be fine. Just put me on the floor. But anyways, yeah. So, so this, the 10 degrees. So then 10 degrees is probably tougher than we think. Well, I, I mean, normally you're with a tilt table, you're up kind of vertical and then they tilt you back about 15 or 20 degrees, I think it is. So, it, but I would think, I mean, the 10 degrees up, it's still do something i would think i don't know yeah but so this thing what you do well, it's kind of like a it's a tricky choice right because i often think like okay having my head back would be really tough but then putting your legs up is just fantastic yeah like i don't know is this just me but i'm, yeah. I'm the person in the cinema who like i can't i'm not really comfortable yeah. if i'm sitting mm -hmm. for a long period without like or on a plane like i'll always jam my legs up into the seat in front of me so like my legs are up i don't is that just me yeah like, no, and this, my legs this is the problem with the, with these people experience with that 10 degree tilt is their legs swell up they get aches in their ankles oh, okay, swell and yeah. you know water <laughs> pooling and so this i mean the massage probably helps there somewhat uh, so yeah this is it's not comfortable but i would say it's better than the other where you're getting like the headaches and dizziness and all that so where was it Occasional dizziness, nausea, puffy face, swollen sinuses, yeah. runny nose, watery eyes. It sounds like the the potential side effects yeah. on like the side of some fairly hefty medication. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll pick this wall and make people, but um, yeah. Either way, not a good time. They also um, they even during showers. I forgot to mention the showers. How they do that is they they put them in the same position. They'll swap them to a gurney, which they then wheel over to uh, to yeah. to a shower room where they kind of spray the people off. You know, and it's, it's, you know. Oh, it sounds like they're in like the uh, yeah. Uh, where people go where they're dead. Yeah. Um, the morticians. Yeah. 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 So they do that. So they do get off. regular bathing that way. But they even while well being sprayed off and stuff, they have to stay in the same position. Then they put them, dry them off, put them back into bed. And, you know, they get dressed. Bed sores are also going. Yeah. Right? Totally right. Uh, yeah. It's it's not a not a good time. And if you if you stop, like if you don't, uh, oh, you also have to you know adhere to their sleep schedule. You sleep when they tell you to sleep, and you do not sleep outside of that point. So it's you know they give you has to be exactly everything exactly. If you don't do what they tell you we had that yeah on the one i did yeah yeah, yeah it was like 11 o'clock lights out 7 a.m lights on yeah yeah and simple and if you don't do what they tell you they, they you don't get anything you just get you know kicked out of the out of the study um so yeah you just you're just laying there they, wait so you can be like uh, one thing they do with us if you they would pay you pro rata if you dropped out or like there was some there was some punishment thing but it was like they would prorate the the rate you got but wow so you could be like Two months, two weeks in, yeah. and you're just losing your shit. I would imagine like, most right. most people, if you make it past like the first week, you're probably good. You know, at that point, like things adjusting, your body's adjusting a little bit. You know, you know, you're, you're already gone through most of the pain, so it's just going to continue. But you know, tell you what, man, that no. lot, it's it's harder at the end. Yeah. The the it's when you can see the end. I the longest one I did was like 21 days, mm -hmm. so it's nothing compared to this. Mm -hmm. But when you're on like day 18, you're like, oh. I need like a burger and a beer so bad. <laughs> it's just that like I need to I need to be outside. Mm -hmm. I need to like be around people who are not the same. I, the one I do is like 12, 12 is 
just 12 guys who were mm. just... So what were they looking for? Doing the... Hmm? What were they looking for in your case? Mine was actually, this wasn't too bad. They were testing like sleeping pills. So they put me on a drug called, <laughs> it was like a combination sleeping pill. So it was... Uh, this seems risky though. Like you having, I'm going to test this sleeping pill. I guess, I guess you're being I, monitored the whole time. I've done, a, I've done time. a couple. Yeah, you're being monitored the whole time. The, the, the one, this one was particularly, uh, this one was a bit safer. Like I, I always like read them. I'm not, because it's also, you know, you're not the first person. I mean, you can be, mm -hmm. but it's always like the first person to take it because they have to test it like through a thousand people. And the one I, the ones I, I've done where it was just like a higher dosage of what was given before mm -hmm. or like a more regular dosage or something. So it's not like the first time this has ever been put in a person. But the, this one was uh, two drugs that had previously been given separately. So one of them was lorazepam, which is like a, a hardcore Valium. And another one was like another sleeping pill that they'd put in a combination. And yeah, so it was like, but they'd be like, you have to sleep between 11 and 7 a.m. But you could, in the day, they don't care if you nap. I think also <laughs> they were like, you're going to be passed out a lot of the time. So it was like, you'd sleep regularly at night and then you'd just get up in the morning and they'd be like, all right, time for your pills. Yeah. And it'd be like, cool. 12 minutes later, you are fully unconscious again. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that makes sense. They want to make sure you're sort of well rested and then see if it puts you back to sleep. Um, but, oh, it did. Okay. It fully did. But you know what's crazy? And this is, uh, this is we, sh we could do something on the placebo effect sometimes. So there were 12 of us on the study. I think this was more than 10 years ago now. Uh, there were 12 of us on the study, and we knew for a fact that two people were on placebos. Everyone was napping. Hmm. That's, uh, Everyone was like, I'm on the drugs, for sure. Huh. Still don't know to this day. I think you could get the data now to find out if I was on the placebo. Mm -hmm. But uh, no, everyone was napping. Everyone was unconscious, but two people were just taking sugar pills. Huh. Crazy. That's cool. Anyway, yeah. So, uh, so the the one exception there are uh, during some of the studies, they do let some of them get out of the bed, but not in like a normal way, of course. Uh, so, like they want to do like uh, cardio regimes and some different workout regimes. Mm -hmm. So they'll have them actually. They'll like suspend them. Like so, for some of them, they'll do to sort of simulate that <laughs> gravity. So they'll sort of suspend them, and and then the exercise equipment's bolted to the wall, you know, type of thing. So you're like biking you know, vertical right. on the wall or whatever. Yeah. So stuff like that, just to make sure, you know, it's, they're, they're attempting to simulate, you know, the, the appropriate gravities and things. So as, as absolutely bizarre and terrible as that sounds, uh, I can just imagine being in the bed for a month. They'd be like, please let me go on the vertical bike again. Yeah, please. Yeah, seriously. Please, like please, the only time you want to do exercise, you're just like, yes, please let me exercise. Yeah, please. I just want to get up. I want to get in the weird contraption. Yes, yeah, probably <laughs> feels amazing when you get out there. So after, if you make it through the, the whole thing, then you get a nice few weeks of painful physical therapy to get your muscles oh, back good. you know less atrophied and uh you know get your get your everything kind of moving again and getting used to walking around um just being able to walk around takes a little bit um after a while so that, so yeah and then you have several months before your body returns fully to normal including like your bone mass and your muscle mass and stuff like this uh just to just to get back to normal so that is sort of your reward but you also are twenty thousand dollars richer about twenty thousand dollars and uh yeah and it's not just not just for looking at people going to Mars and stuff, but also it helps people who are kind of bedridden, you know, uh, you know, medical patients and quadriplegics and you know, extreme osteoporosis, uh, osteoporosis uh -huh. patients and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, you're sort of helping in that research as well. So that's nice. I know twenty thousand dollars is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Especially because all your room and board is covered. So if you don't have, you know, have zero expenses, so that's like twenty thousand extra. I feel even even. 18-year-old, 19-year-old Simon would find this hard to stomach. But you could also put on your resume NASA research subject, which is kind of cool. That's that, that resume line. Yeah. 
No, I'd find that. I'd find that hard. Oh no, I don't. I, I don't totally. Know, I don't know if I could do that. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it at all. The the reason I found out about these things in the beginning was because I was just working at a at a place and some guy was talking. It was just one of these like urban legends that they'll like cut off your toe, like your baby toe, <laughs> mm-hmm. and reattach it, and they'd give you. I think it was like twelve thousand pounds or something. So probably about the the equivalent back in the day. And then I actually looked into the the actual study side of things, and they weren't removing your toes and putting it back on, but they were testing medications on you. Would you rather have your toe for $20,000 do this or have your toe surgically removed, your baby toe, and then put back on again? Oh, totally. Or would you the baby toe. But if it's the big toe, that, one, right. that, okay. one's, that one's quite useful. I mean, like people don't think about how important the big toe is, but like when you, I don't know if you've ever injured your big toe, you do know like that is a very useful, useful yeah. appendage. Yeah. I, I, I've had a, a couple of horribly ingrown, this is too much information, like uh, big toenails. <laughs> yeah. You can't walk properly with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what about if the just removal of the baby toe? $20,000, would you do it? I now, no, but certainly college, college, college age of me would have been like, oh yeah, sure. Totally do that. Yeah, I'm thinking I'd, I'd be like, take them both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't need it. That's one less toenail to clip. Right, right. It's like, I don't know, my toenails on the baby toes, they're kind of weird anyway. Yeah, they're like yeah. just a thin little strip of nail. Yeah. <laughs> You'd take that off. It's just weird. Yeah. Um, and no one ever sees it. You can't wear, even if you were wearing sandals, it yeah. would take people a while to be the like, good, do you only have four toes? Good conversation starter. How'd you, how'd you lose your toe? Yeah. 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 Experiment. Yeah. Someone paid me $20,000 for it. Yeah. Be like, okie dokie. Yeah. All right. I like this. Yeah. This was a good one. I should also mention that they also, I forgot to mention during the procedure, also they're man- monitoring all your bioscience and everything constantly and also watching you. But one of the, yeah. some of them, it's kind of the uncomfortable way. So they'll even sometimes like for some of the, things they would put like a catheter all the way down into like the heart so they're running it to, to sort of get whoa, monitor some whoa. stuff that's happening inside the heart during different whoa, stuff this is becoming less and less worth twenty thousand dollars every every minute yeah passes. and so and another one that sounds dangerous i'm sure i'm sure it's not that dangerous i mean because they you run stuff for like a pacemaker and stuff that's kind of how they do that uh, you know, yeah, but that's not a voluntary thing. That's because it's like well, you need a pacemaker or you will die. I'm this sure. is like we're gonna put a thing in your heart. Well, just like temporarily, <laughs> you know, like just uh, and then and other stuff. I mean, it's probably not yeah painful, but just uncomfortable and weird. Is where like mm-hmm. they were, you know, stick a little temperature probe down your nose and so it goes into your core to get a good, you know, core temperature, which uh, is you know probably better than the than the other way they could have gone with that. With all that bedpan action, they're like, yeah. we've had enough ass action yeah. for this, 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 this patient. <laughs> yeah. Well, then it would, it would be kind of funny, though, because you got the, like, the alien, whole anal probe uh, alien thing going on in the NASA doing it. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> just like, we, we can't do rectal temperatures anymore because <laughs> there's been too many alien it's conspiracies and NASA yeah. and lizard people. That's just a headline waiting to happen for the for, you know, NASA anal probing people for, and paying them. <laughs> And this is an email waiting to happen. Someone's going to email us about the reptilian conspiracy theory, yeah. accusing us of being reptilian. The way I know it's not true is because I'm not one. <laughs> <laughs> or are you? That, that's, I think that's the end of that one. Uh, next, I like the pillow nor. Yeah, next. This was, a, this, was, this was a nice episode. Yeah, next week's I think I, is I, better. I think uh, more interesting. At least I, really? I, I, it was fun to research. As you'll see, uh, like Carl Smallwood and I, I think... Uh, I guess Melissa Melissa uh, Blevins was also involved in the first part, but the the main part, uh, it, uh, Carl and I went way overboard on this to try to answer this really stupid question, um, and it was fun. Those are always those are some of my favorite where we're just being like 
spending just like days researching something that's so ridiculously silly. Uh, I'm assuming we're talking about how they go to the toilet in space. Uh, right? No, this is the second part of the Apollo 10 thing. Oh, Apollo, we were trying wait, to get to the they... bottom of something that happened. Because during... you go really deep into the toilet stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, so, so Melissa was, was more on the uh, on the, how astronauts go into the bathroom in space in general. Yeah. But then there's this embedded part about the Apollo 10 mission that Carl and I went, uh, we went uh, and read so many transcripts and tease things. it tease it what uh, is the yeah. gist of it uh, uh, let's just say we read 171 Ooh. pages worth of nasa transcripts Ooh. to try to solve uh, solve a little mystery of of that, that happened on apollo 10 and then no one had ever answered before and we gave it our best college try it was pretty funny that is a glorious tease yeah. and that's where i think we should probably end this week's episode yeah all right so thank you everyone for listening. As always, do uh, remember to go and leave us a review on iTunes or Podcast Addict or any of those big platforms where you can do that. Also drop us an email if you want, podcast at todayfoundout.com. I should mention we are in touch with people who won prizes, uh, the, the previous thing. Uh, I apologize for the delay, although this episode is probably not going out for a few more days yet. Yeah, so they'll already have it by the time, it be, by the time it yeah, goes out. Okay. Yeah, it'll be good. Well, let me let me apologize publicly for the, I think there was a few days delay in, in kind of following up on that. I've been mm -hmm. quite busy mm -hmm. with uh, various things. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, let's wrap it up there. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back next week for uh, 171 pages of NASA transcripts yeah. and the, the story that unfolded from there. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening. Space DJs. It's a fairly impressive resume, isn't it? Depending on what you want to get into next.